my theory is this, that no matter which industry you start in, you know, or you think the grass is greener anywhere else, there's always a, a, a pile of shit that you have to eat before you gain a certain level of success or achieve a certain level of whatever income or whatever it is, right? Here's an example. Let's say it's construction. Mm -hmm. Let's say you start on a job today as a painter, say construction painter. You're going to have to eat a significant amount of shit before you're a leader of any kind, right? Welcome to the Big Deal Real Estate Podcast, where we talk about things pertaining to Vancouver real estate, its suburbs, and business in general. We also like to bring on people who are kind of a big deal from time to time. I'm your co-host, That Agent Kelly, here with Jarrett White, a.k.a. That Guy. Who does mortgages? If you're watching this on YouTube, leave, <laughs> leave us a comment, a like, subscribe, click the bell to be notified every time a new episode comes out. Do everything everywhere else. Our guest today... Roman Kenzerski. Yeah, you got it. That's how you, you say nailed it? it? You nailed That's it. That's sick. Roman Kenzerski <clears throat> of World Financial Group. A very successful guy. Um, you've been in the industry now for what? Uh, so that's tough to say because I got coded. So when you join the business, there's a process of getting coded. Basically, sign something called an AMA, uh, Associate Membership Agreement. And it basically states you can't like disclose or solicit any financial advice to anybody until you're fully licensed. So I got coded in January of 2020. That was like my first exposure. And then I went on this like Ty Lopez rabbit hole. And then I went down to like uh, the Forex trading and the crypto trading. Uh, meanwhile, like kind of checking out financial services. Uh, and then I actually got back into around April and I got my license September of 2020. So, okay. So around two plus three, years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just under three years. Yeah. And so what's your story, man? Like, why, how did you land there? Why did you do it? Well, my story begins way back in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> Um, really? Yeah, man. I was born and raised in Ukraine. Till when? Till I was about ten. Oh, so mm -hmm. you you? Oh, I remember. I speak being lived there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's speak crazy. Um, yeah, I, I still like remember a bunch of like I remember first thing that when I came to Canada, it was the bathrooms made the biggest difference. Um, <laughs> because that? in Ukraine, well, in a public bathroom in Ukraine, you don't. You're not like, where's the bathroom? You kind of, you, you know, it's in that <laughs> general vicinity. <laughs> There's no like. Um, street workers and like you know there's no very little uh, government influence on like cleaning the city um so i remember coming here and i just remember going into like the public bathroom in steveston where i grew up and i was like wow there's <laughs> urinal cakes like what is that mom uh, and um i mean it was just a cleaner city and there's a completely different change you know for about two years i was like that weird kid on the block that uh smelled like soup and wore leather jackets at the age of 11 so <laughs> it's hard to fit in for a bit did you um, know english at that point I knew, like, uh, I love cat. Dog is my favorite animal. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, so you learned that. You learned that later on, English, speaking it fluently. Yeah, I went to, like, my dad came here first to kind of establish a life yeah. for us before he brought my mom in over. Uh, and uh, I remember going to, like, English-speaking <laughs> courses, and I, <laughs> I didn't know why. My mom was like, you have to learn this. Um, I caught on later, obviously. But when I came here, I spoke with, like, an accent. It was weird because you see, like, those gangsters and, like, John Wick speaking yeah. Russian. Like, that was me at the age of, like, 10. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, I tried to act so gangster with my leather jackets and yeah. stuff. So, um, and, like, that hard Ukrainian accent. But, um, yeah, I mean, the lingo, like, everything I learned in elementary school oh, basically wow. here. Yeah. Awesome. So, so then after 
after that, you, what did you do? Like, what was your first job? How did you land at WFG? Like, what happened? Oh, well, f- the process. The um, process. Yeah, man. So let's take it back. So basically, when I was, my dad was a doctor in Ukraine. When he came here, he, um, he had to make money, so he didn't really have an option to go back into, like, you know, whatever, dentistry or doctor. Um, he went into construction. He was sweeping floors for, like, seven bucks an hour back in 2005. Um, then when I was 16, I actually started working with him. Not really because I had a passion for construction, but mainly because, like, you know, it's my dad and I yeah. had to help him. Um, long story short, that kind of industry had its influences. My friends from high school had their influences on me. I landed in rehab when I was about 19. Um, up until that point, my dad actually worked, me and my dad worked together quite a bit. Uh, but it got into that point where we were doing, like, steel stud and uh, drywall, like, T-bar, stuff like this, right? And it got to the point where we'd go to work together, and I'd be so hungover or so, you know, lit from last night um, or coming down. And I would just, like, go build myself a little fortress out of uh, insulation. You know, not like the uncovered one where it gets at you, but still in the packets. Uh, and, uh, and it was, like, wintertime, too, so it was cold. So I'd, like, kind of cover myself up with this blanket and just take a nap during work hours. And he wouldn't find me like all day. He'd be like, where were wow. you? Like, what were you doing? Um, so yeah, they, they basically sent me off. The story of how I actually got into rehab is just absolutely incredible because the, typically there's a waiting process and they'll always take somebody who has uh, self-funding, which means that you pay for it yourself or your parents do. Uh, I actually ended up going on welfare uh, because my parents were broke and we didn't really have much money. And uh, what happened was one morning I woke up and my ex-girlfriend's sister's husband would at my, was at my house. And I used to babysit his kids, so that's how he knew me. But he also ran this program called, um, I can't remember, Street Smarts or something okay. like that. Yeah. Getting kids out of gangs and getting them out of that right. life and you know, helping them recover. And I remember waking up and seeing him, and what the story was, that my mom called this random hotline number to help me kind of, you know, because I was missing for a couple of weeks and I came home. Um, and then she called this number, and when she mentioned my name, this dude had like a flashback of when I was a young kid, when I was 15, 16 years old, uh, babysitting his kids back in Richmond. Uh, he showed up to my house, dropped everything. He was like the director of the program, and he decided to just commit to saving me. So I showed up. He's there. I'm like covered in my own puke because it's been a hectic couple weeks. And he like takes me outside. He's like, dude, look at where you're going with your life. You know, like you're going to kill yourself soon. 19 years old. You have no ambitions. You have no goals of any kind. Um, so through his help, I was actually able to get on the waiting list into a detox right away. And a detox... I thought it was like this miraculous thing where they put you in like a tube and they like cryogenically freeze you for two weeks and you wake up all refreshed. No, it's, it's like a very small room, four walls, um, and a fan. And that's it. That's all that I remember. And you're just forced like to prison sleep. for like, it's essentially yeah. a pretty exact. You can't leave. Uh, they cook you food, but you only allowed twice a day, twice a day. Uh, and I remember just laying there for the first week and like, I remember distinctly staring at that um, airport square building. You know what I'm talking about? Airport square building. Yeah, yeah. It's like right off the Oak Street Bridge, I think. Okay. You'll yeah. see it the next yeah, time yeah. you're driving by. Right by the airport. And I remember just seeing like the A on the airport flashing at night and lying down and seeing like the multitude of boogers that somebody had left under <laughs> the windowsill. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, God, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen to me? Um, so flash forward, I actually stayed clean through that process. Uh, then I got into rehab after only about a month of waiting, which was pretty decent because some people had to wait like seven, eight months. But because I had no assets, I can get on welfare in two weeks and then I got into rehab in two weeks. So I did about, the program is about 90 days. So it's a three-month program to get you clean, get yeah. you back, integrate into, into life. Uh, I did nine months. 
So I was there further past the allowable limit. I had a lot of chores to kind of earn my stripes there so they wouldn't kick me out early. Uh, but it was really like a reprogramming of the mind, hmm. right? Which I think a lot of people up until a certain point in our lives, we've been programmed a certain way to believe something is true. Uh, you know, you can look at like the Nazis. They were forced to believe that one thing was true versus the opposing side was the allies were believed something else was true, right? So everyone had their beliefs. And I think I was programmed in such a way at that rehab facility to understand that the things that I thought were cool up until that point in my life, you know, like the, having a cigarette with a Porsche and a hot girl and doing drugs and partying, that wasn't cool. Right? Like helping people was cool. You know, like helping grandmas across the street was cool. You know, mm -hmm. being a good friend, being a good brother, like that kind of stuff was cool. And that completely changed the trajectory where my life was going. So after that, I went, uh, I didn't go back to working with my dad because I didn't want to go back to like the same similar situation. Mm. Um, so I went and got my own um, carpentry job. I went to school for carpentry, finished that up. That was pretty awesome. Uh, but then I was stuck. I wasn't growing very fast. So uh, what happened was I was capped out about 28 bucks an hour. Um, you know, I was taking all these courses to raise yeah. my income, but it wasn't going anywhere. So I just got so frustrated. And right around that time, I started doing side jobs and started looking for other opportunities. And it just so happened I, when I started to uh, you know, do side jobs and open up my own business, um, somehow I was like 42 grand in debt my truck and all these other expenses that I had. I was like, yeah, I don't care. Um, but then one day my buddy was like, dude, you should kind of look into that. So another friend of mine was getting started in the financial industry, financial services and insurance. And I was doing these things called panels at the time, which is where you travel from treatment center to treatment center, kind of speaking about your story, kind of like right. this, yeah. in front of a big, bigger group of people. Uh, and he came to do a panel with me. And afterwards, he's like, dude, you should really come sit down with me and the guy who's training me in the financial services industry to help you clean up your uh, clean up your BS, my debt. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, man. I'm serious about it. Let's do it. So I sat down with him. And then one thing kind of got rolling. And that's why I said that was around January 2020 when I got that code. And then pff, the rest is history. So awesome. you, you, you actually witnessed it help you clear, clear up your debt or their advice. And then that's what kind of inspired you to get into it dude the best way to pay off your debt or clear out your debt is just throw mass amounts at it and no like program or debt management program in the world will help you put it up faster than making a ton of income mm -hmm. right so absolutely they, we, we sat down i sat down with my friend nima who's my who's been my mentor for the last couple of years and uh, he put together a debt management program for me, like a consolidation plan and stuff like that. I didn't want to go the bankruptcy route and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to uh, scar my credit for too long. Um, so I just kind of put together a financial plan. He put together a budget plan for me to put out those fires. And, uh, and then I, it was said to be paid off in about five to six years. Yeah. But then when I actually started working in WFG and I started and I got my code active and I got my license, man, it only took me a couple months. and I was making more than 20 grand a month. And then how, how fast do you think I was paying off that debt at that rate? Yeah. Right. Something that said that yeah. I, I had a plan for it to pay off in six years, I paid off in six months. Mm. So, okay. So let me ask you this. So I guess first off, what do you do? What does your day-to-day -day business look like now that we know about who you are? Well, I mean, it's constantly do? evolving. Yeah. Right? So I'd say that when I started, I was just kind of like, uh, like an agent, right? So very much front lines, kind of, uh, you know, private in the military, kind of you know, running around. Um, now it's been more of managing my team and uh, managing expectations, training, 
uh, you know, doing a lot of Zoom calls of training and stuff like that. But uh, I run a business, and I, yeah. I'm a business owner in the financial industry, uh, financial services and insurance mainly. So now you, you run a team of agents who are selling insurance and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Right? So gotcha. um, training, teaching, uh, almost every aspect of personal finance. I myself have kind of ventured more into the um, corporate finance field as well, just because it's a bit more complicated. It's not for everybody. Right? I'd say like out of a um, hundred clients that I sit down with, probably 90 of them will just be your typical, don't know their ass from an RSP kind of deal. Like you're just kind of helping them with the regular stuff. Right. 10 will be a little bit more complicated. And one of those 10, maybe two of those 10 will be a bit more qualified to be like a corporate client or something like that. Right. Gotcha. Sole proprietor, self-employed yeah. or something. Okay. So let me ask you this, right? Within three months or whatever, you're making 20 grand a month. That is probably the top 0.1% of people who get their license and go to WFG, I'm assuming. Maybe in the top five. Top 5% or top five people ever? No, top 5%. No, <laughs> okay. I'm top. not going to hold that. Okay, top fives. So how – that's pretty good. How did, you, pretty yeah, how did you go to top five? Well, what made you think – or what what do you think made you go to top 5% in such a short period of time opposed to other <clears> people that probably try it and fall short? What made me kind of – Yeah, like – I don't know, man. I think it's all about – life is – life is about timing. You know, you guys ever read um, – that book Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Oh, dude, no, I haven't, but I know the book and I need to read it. That's <laughs> yeah, a good book. He just talks about how like there's certain things that happen in your life. You know, you walk out of the door at a certain time, you meet a person, uh, or certain events that lead up to meeting that person. That if it was 30 seconds later, you might have missed that person, right? Or just like these. He talks about stacking green lights, right? Because we want to be on the freeway in the left lane without hitting red lights. So that's kind of what he's talking about in the flow state. And what made me is just I think it was timing of where I was in my life, how unhappy I was, and at the same time, how unsatisfied I felt. I've never done any kind of sales jobs prior to that. I never worked in finance. I never had any background working with people. I only had background working with, uh, with wood, <laughs> in the most literal <laughs> sense. Um, but um, yeah, man, I think, I think obviously the events prior to that, like I said, going through rehab, yeah. right? Dealing with people there, learning how to sponsor guys, learning how to help guys kind of clean their life up. And because when you're a sponsor, you're kind of like a mentor, right? Which is essentially what? A business owner, right? Maybe with one or two employees, you got one or two sponsees. Uh, and then when I was doing that thing, when I said I was running panels from treatment center to treatment center, remember I mentioned that? Again, give me an exposure to maybe uh, public speaking or dealing with different personalities in different areas. And all those things kind of stacked up. So at that point in my life, when I was what, 22, 23 years old, yeah. and when this opportunity kind of landed in my lap, I was like, wow, this is... This is what I was meant to do. Like, uh, God has put me through series of trainings up until that point to be good at this thing. Mm, that's and, crazy. And that's why. And I just kind of committed to, man. You know, I think we start a lot of things that we don't finish. Yeah. And right from the get-go, I had that mindset where I was like, I'm going to give it my honest shot for a year. Like, my honest shot. Hmm. Skill stacking. It all paid off. Alex Ramosi. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You stacked a bunch of skills and then found the right industry to implement all of those things you learned. But also, I would you say that basically all the pain you had to endure up to that point was a much better motivator than what most people might have to get into that industry? Like Absolutely. Would, yeah. Man, I, I can be more grateful for the construction industry. Like you have a similar background. <laughs> we both do. You both yeah. do. Yeah, yeah I, I, used, I used to be a Red Seal automotive painter. 
Oh, nice. Auto body, yeah. I don't know if that's as gruesome <clears throat> as being a carpenter. It's not as gruesome, but I would say it's worse for your body. I could argue it's worse for your body. It's pretty bad. You're Definitely. breathing in the chemicals. Smoking two. Well, I was smoking two packs. Of I was I was right. washing my hands with lacquer thinner at the end of each day. Nice. Pretty perfect. I was yeah. just I was just huffing glue all day, so. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Accidentally, there'll always be an, an opened can of primer right. in my in the back of my van. It'd be high by the time I get to downtown. Every time Vancouver. you screw it on, you just give it a little sniff just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like exactly. I don't know, was it you or, or you that yeah, said it? Yeah. But a hundred percent. Because in the, here, I'll tell you what my day looked like in construction. I'd show up at around six thirty a.m. I'd have to unload the C-can, and I was typically lead hand or you know one of the top guys on the site running the job. So I'd always have to show up early. I'd have the keys. I'd have to uh, you know unlock everything. Everything was frozen. I worked 365 days of the year in the open fields because what I did was something called tilt-ups. Tilt-ups is building uh, giant warehouses, kind of like this whole complex, right? Now, there is no um, working in a high-rise. Mm-hmm. There's no floors, right? Even when you're a plumber, you're typically you know under some kind of roof mm-hmm. most of the time. You have to be right in this industry because I was working on warehouses. It was all open 365 days of the year. I was in every single weather. Yeah. Right? Whether shitty. it was blitz hot, like 40 <clears throat> degrees outside, or was, whether it was sideways rain or ice rain, or even when it was snowing outside, we have to like blow the snow or melt the snow yeah. and still work in it. Right. There's so many times where I'd get like frostbite on my hands or my feet or whatever it was. And you guys know probably rain gear only stays like real waterproof for about 30, 45 minutes. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you're soaked all day in one of those rainy days. So, and dri- here's the here's a real mental toughness that happens when you're in a job like that. Driving to work at 6 a.m., looking at the horrendous rain, and knowing that you're gonna have to and be knowing in that it. for eight hours you're slaving away for 28 bucks an hour. Yeah. Like that, like just that mental preparation of driving yeah. to work, and you're like, I should just oh, should pull over. I right? remember waking up at 4:30 in the morning, and the first thing you hear when you wake up is, is the it? rain hitting <laughs> the roof, and you're like, No, <laughs> like all day it's That's gonna right. be this. So, so I think that once you you know overcome that a few times, and once you swallow that hard to swallow pill, you become more and more calloused. Now, plus, not to mention the type of people I was dealing with. You know, being called, uh, I don't know, can I swear here? I yeah, yeah, sure. for sure. Like a fucking retard and like all these negative terms constantly. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Bring, like, you know, you know, my favorite was was meat sack. I was being called meat sack. So that's just a sack of meat that's useless. That's not doing anything, right? <laughs> so you just call people meat. And then you start doing it, right? So you start, start turning into this negative person. And all this negativity and oppression that I kind of went through for four years, right? It, it, it calloused me because I was in recovery. I was also Christian. And I was overcoming all these problems in my life, going from 19 years old to 23, working in the construction industry, but also staying clean. You know, I remember going to Alberta for like five or six months to build this barn for a Hutterite colony. That was another story I'll tell you. Yeah. That was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but all the guys I was working there just got shit-faced. And on the yeah. weekends, they would go out and do blow all night. Yeah. So I was there around this, staying clean and spiritual, going to like NA meetings in a town called Stetler. And... Alberta with like a population of 1700 people, you know, trying to stay clean. Mm-hmm. So all that influence and overcoming all that, I think coming to this industry rejection, like, again, I never worked sales. So why was it that I was so good at handling objections and overcoming rejection? It was because of those skill stacking that had God put me through those tests in, throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Right? Like for example, the construction industry, I think it's great. I think anybody who's suffered construction for, you know, more than two years of their life and overcome it on the other side, is definitely more mentally tough, not to mention physically, than the average person who worked maybe a desk job. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. Totally. If you can endure that, there's not much you can't endure. 
that's for sure, right? Um, so I'm going to ask you this, man. I know you, and I only ask you because I know you probably have a good answer for it. You got the AMG, the Rolex, right? You live a pretty, like, lavish life. I just saw you got a brand new pretty sick apartment in mm. uh, Vancouver in the Shangri-La. What's the, what's, the, what's the reasoning? The reasoning? Why do you do it? Why do you, why do you, why do you live lavishly? I guess is the question. See, to me, it's not even that lavishly because I, I take a percentage of my income and I use it towards whatever else. But I always tie every little milestone that I hit with a certain reward or, like you said, reasoning for myself. Mm. Right? Like, for instance, there's a certain level of priority too. I, I moved out and I improved the, the life of me and my wife before just getting myself a Rolex or an AMG. Right. And if you really take a look at everything behind the scenes, so one of the biggest reasons, for instance, moving out to a nicer place was how am I supposed to sell the dream to my team of agents who I'm constantly telling about, you know, you're going to become great. You're going to become in the shoes that I'm in if I'm living in a 500 square foot, one bedroom apartment. Right. I can't. Yeah. Right? Um, the statement. You have to make it, a statement. It's social proof. It's yeah. yeah. And, and, and I share it with others. It's yeah. not like I got this thing and I've, I'm holding it to myself. You know how many events I host? My favorite investment is investment in my business. Meaning that that extra couple grand of rent that I'm paying, I love that because every single time I bring a new team member or a new agent to my apartment to have dinner or an event at my place that I can host because I have enough square footage, it, it helps them believe in themselves. Right. So all those things, even though they may seem like a personal gain, they're actually like a marketing kind of approach for my business. Yeah. Same thing with the AMG. Are you kidding me? Like. I drive that thing maybe once a week. You can ask most of my best friends slash agents, my top performers on my team. They probably use that car more than I do. Right. Because I'm not just like, oh, look at me. I got this beautiful car. I'm like, hey, man, like, take, take it for a spin. Yeah. Why? Because it's dream selling. Yeah. They go out and they drive you know, a $100,000 car and they put it into sports mode and that thing goes to zero to 104 seconds and they're like, holy shit, I want to be this. I want to do this. I want a car like that. And that pushes them to be better. That pushes them to strive for their goals, even though it's not the materialistic things that make a difference. Dude, you can take away everything from me right now. You can't rob me of anything that actually matters or brings value to my life. The skills. I had a dream the other day that I had to go back to construction. A nightmare, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was due, I can't remember the dream exactly, but it was due to some unfortunate circumstances. But I was okay with it because I knew I had come out on the other side as a better person. Yeah. Now, the Rolex, that was for me. Yeah. And I said, I said, once I made a quarter million, I'll get myself a Rolex. Now, most people make a hundred grand, they get a Rolex. Yeah. Right. Or even less. Yeah. I said a quarter million. hundred grand and get a Rolex. That seems pretty low to be getting a Rolex. You can do it. There's Rolexes that are like five, six grand. It's still, oh, yeah. still a stupid way to spend your money if you're well, only making a hundred, right? Yeah. <sighs> and, and a lot of guys finance it too. So don't oh worry. my yeah. God. No, I knew you had, I knew you had, I just worded it poorly because I'm brain dead. I haven't slept more than six hours and like three years uh, <laughs> but but i knew if for you 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 basically see it as an investment in your business 100 percent. because if you invest in your image then it helps you in your business 100 percent. basically you okay. catch me on my day off dude i'm wearing like shirt from the gap and ripped up sweatpants i've had for seven years because i have a sentimental attachment to the sweatpants you know <laughs> like i like even the suit i was like i can't it's for the clients because I promise you, even though a client will say, oh, you can be casual with me. Don't worry about it. I swear to you, if I show up, you know, doing a million dollar transfer to some big business owner dressed in my ripped up sweatpants, there's no way I'm closing that deal. Right? They want to see a certain level of success on my behalf because it also brings credibility and value. Right? It's so, social proof. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that wouldn't be social proof, but it's proof. 
It's a, proof. It's a 70 proof. Um, so what business, like what challenges did you first face when you were starting that, uh, starting as a, as an agent right out the gate? I love that question because I don't, I don't believe in challenges. Okay. And let me elaborate because it's like, uh, well, what are some of the challenges of being a new realtor? Facing fears is probably the biggest one right out the gate, I'd say. Okay. A lot of people just crumble at the face of fear and they don't do anything. Yeah, just putting yourself out there in general, yeah. getting comfortable with talking to strangers, hundreds of strangers <laughs> a day and stuff like that. I would say that's probably like the biggest fear that most agents have. So many are so, so nervous to start cold calling people, the door knock. Everything. Everything, yeah, everything. is terrifying. But, Video. But my point is that isn't that... <clears throat> Like, don't you have to do that? Yeah, you have to. So is it a challenge or is it literally a part of the process? It's part of the job description. It doesn't make any sense that people say, what is the biggest challenge? Well, it's not getting rejections or no's because that's literally how you get to success. Like, what do you mean? If I go to the gym and I'm not sore, I worked out shitty. I'm supposed to feel sore so my muscles can grow. Have you, uh, do you guys play instruments? Okay, I see what you're saying. So, so in a gym, in a gym metaphor, the challenge isn't working out. Yeah. The challenge would be like, it's like you, you saying, like pull a muscle or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like saying, oh, I have a challenge of lifting, uh, you know, 300 pounds bench press. It's like, dude, that's not a challenge. You just haven't worked up to it yet. Like start less. Or, or playing a guitar. I've never, ever seen a guitarist who's never played their whole life pick up a guitar, instantly have calluses on their fingers, and instantly being able to play the song without bumming a single note. It doesn't make any sense that people formulate this like opinion that there's certain challenges with the job. No, it's like, no, 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 dude, that is the path. That's, That's not the, the challenge. That is the job. It's like, you, you don't look at the, the final product. Like you got to look at the process as being the actual happiness of success. It's not, it's not that I've gotten to a certain point. Like I'm not stopping. I'm not like, okay, I'm, I'm done. So you're saying the only people that actually experience challenges are ones that set an expectation that shouldn't be set. Absolutely. That's that well articulated. Okay, yeah, that was pretty sick, Jim. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's why you have him on the calls, eh? Yeah, just, that's why I got just like, for those. He funnels it down to... Yeah, yeah they set an expectation, say, I want to make 100 grand this year, or I should be making 100 grand this year, and if they fall short, they consider it a challenge, but they never should have ex been expecting that in the first place. Absolutely. Uh, because, because here's the thing. It's like, in order to, let's say, I don't know about real estate, I don't know what the numbers are, but for me, let's say, in order to have one client... I have to do at least meetings with five people, for yeah. example. And then one of those five will become a client. Now, in order to do five meetings with people, I have to, let's say, book 10 into my schedule. So if I have 10 booked, one of them, something might happen, another might move away, another person might fall off yeah. the face of the earth. Numbers game. Exactly. So that means that I'm going to get seven or, sorry, uh, nine notes before I get one client. So is it a challenge if I'm on the wrong side of the numbers game? If for, let's say, two months, I had 10 people in the funnel, and I've gotten 18 no's. Is that a challenge? Oh, man, you know, Connor, I'm having a challenge. I've gotten 18 no's. It's like, no, dude, that's literally a part of the game. Your next two should be yeses. And if they're not, then they're just stacking up on the other side of the numbers game. So it doesn't make any sense to kind of look at it as a challenge. It's like people saying no to me. It's like, no, dude, people saying no to you makes you better to improve and move forward. It's as cliche as that saying that's, you know, the, the path to success is paved with failure. But that's literally, yeah, people just need to reprogram that the failure is literally a part of the learning process to get better. Because, dude, if you come into the real estate industry and you start selling houses and you've sold everything you've ever touched, how are you going to duplicate that to a team to train them how to handle certain objections? You don't even know how. You have to go through it. 
It's 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 difficult to explain, but it's also I think pretty straightforward. You know. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out a way how to formulate this question and get the answer I want out of you. The biggest challenge I think everybody is faced with is the expectations part, which was on point, and being in emotional control of the outcome. You close a client, I said it's a numbers game, right? So if you close your first five clients, buddy, I feel bad for you. You got a whole shit strong coming around the corner. However, if you don't let those first five get you really high and then go out and spend money on Rolexes and AMGs and shit like that, if you are just neutral and you're like, yep, yeah, this is a part of it. I'm, you know, I know that at some point I'm going to get some no's. Then you don't have those expectations. You're emotionally in control and you're able to handle the ups and the downs without, you know, throwing you around like a freaking roller coaster. And okay. the only way to get more, get more yeses is to get more no's. Basically. Just multiply you, your you no's to. to get your. You have to. That's yeah. what people don't understand. It's like, dude, everyone's saying no to me. It's like that is supposed to happen. Yeah. I'm glad they are. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. Like I play guitar, I'm mainly self-taught, and it's all about, okay, I made a mistake, I restart the song. I made a mistake, I restart the song. How many times have I restarted? I don't know, let's say hundreds. So that means in order to play it once well, I had to play it wrong a hundred times. That's part of learning. You know what I mean? Right, right. I'm very passionate about this so, because I'm just sick and tired of <laughs> people making excuses for not winning. No, I love it, man. So, okay, in terms of learning, I'll just phrase it this way. You said something about eating a pile of shit. Can you, can you, can you hit that quote again right now? How did I say that? I don't remember. I heard you say it one time. Can you hit that again? Uh, Hit that again. I believe that was an exclusive event. (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. So my theory is this, that no matter which industry you start in, you know, or you think the grass is greener anywhere else, there's always a, a, a pile of shit that you have to eat before you gain a certain level of success or achieve a certain level of whatever income or whatever it is, right? Here's an example. Let's say it's construction. Mm-hmm. Let's say you start on a job today as a painter. Let's say construction painter. You're going to have to eat a significant amount of shit before you're a leader of any kind, right? Whether you're a foreman or a lead hand or anything, at which point you are now giving people shit to eat. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Yes. Now, that could also be the real estate industry, right? Let's say you're a realtor and you got to eat a certain amount of shit before people know your name, before you got to go out there and grind and grind and grind. So it's grinding, right? There's, but here's the thing. Here's the metaphor that I kind of came up with. I've never heard it said this way. So most people, they'll start eating a pile of shit and they'll be like, I can get through this. But then they look over and they see another opportunity and that pile of shit looks smaller to them. Why? Because it's further away. But little do they know, they stop eating this shit and they go over there to eat that shit. (laughs) <laughs> and that pile is just as big. Now they're doubling up on that double shit scoop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it never ends. So for me, when I started, that was something I very quickly realized. I was like, you know what? I can put my efforts into real estate, you know, which I still might one day. I don't know. I can put my efforts into being a bodybuilder. I can put my efforts into being a guitarist. But each one of those things has a certain pile of shit you got to eat. <laughs> I decided to eat shit in the financial industry because I realized that I can eat through it faster. Because remember, there's, this is another aspect of the shit eating process. There's, there's no time to eat the shit in. There's only amount, of, <laughs> there's only pile, okay? The size of the pile, it doesn't change. The time is infinite in which you can eat the pile. The time shit. is infinite, exactly. Yeah. You can eat one spoonful a day or you can shovel that thing down, okay? 
So what I decided is I was going to eat through that pile of shit as fast as humanly possible. So for the first, I got coded, like I said, in January 2020. I made a comeback around April, and that's when I started learning more. I didn't get my license until September, until, and then I made my first paycheck in October. So I don't know, from April, let's say that entire period of time. I worked about 12 to 14 hours a day. I worked through every weekend, and I got $0 paid to me for about six months. That is the shit-eating process. Now, like I said, you can choose to eat that shit for three years, working two to three hours a day, skipping weekends. Mm -hmm. I chose to do it in a span of three to six months. So I worked 12 to 14 hours a day, and I remember just getting off work at like 9 p.m. and saying to my wife, like, if I work this hard, how are they not gonna pay me? How is God not gonna give it'd me what I'm- un, It'd be unreasonable for it, them. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be a realistic. It's like, no, no, what the hell am I working at? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I truly believe that if you just commit, because you can, you can do it over the span of three years. Like if you started part-time, sure. But I wanted to do it quick. I didn't want to be sitting there because you have to start at the bottom of the totem pole anywhere you go. Yeah. So I wanted to get through that shit as quick as possible. And I decided this is the mountain of shit I was going to eat. That's it. That's dope. And yeah, actually I heard that from Jonate. I just didn't think you'd call me out on that being an excuse for that. <laughs> so I heard it through the grapevine. But the PC version of that, because I, I really do like that. PC or PG? P PC? PG? Both. Both PG. of those. Parental both. guidance? Is that what you're talking about? No, politically correct. Oh, politically oh. correct. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was trying to censor it. No, both both of those are yeah, P PG, PC, whatever, whatever the hell you want to say. Uh, the PC PG version of, of that is basically volume <laughs> equals skill times time. So, or sorry, skill equals volume times time. So skill you build you build the skill with the amount of time you do something and how much you do it. Yes. Right. So you can either increase the volume and the time is smaller, or you can you know decrease the volume and increase the time and it, it. you get the same result. That's right? it. That's so. it. And it's up to you. The best part is that it's up to you. Yeah. You can choose. And here's the thing: most people, you know, that's why when people ask me how long have I been doing this, and I say, oh, about two years. That's not really a fair answer, is it? Because if I worked 12 to 14 hours a day, not taking weekends off, I'm stacking experience. And let's say I was working as a, a telecommunications officer or some kind of IT guy. I've done it for 10 years. You guys can Google this right now, but typically on an average eight hour workday, people only work like one to two hours productively. It's even less than that in some cases. So that person who's done this for 10 years, who's worked one to two hours productively a day versus me, who's trying to pump out as much productivity in that compressed period of time of 12 to 14 hours a day. Now you compare the knowledge and experience of those two people. Yep. Yeah. There was actually a video of Patrick Beck David posted about the guy that works six days versus the guy that works five days. Yeah. And the guy that works six days has an extra 52 days a year worked. Yep. And that over the span of six years is a whole year, extra year worked. Absolutely. Over 10 years, it's almost like you worked two years longer than than your competitor that worked five days. Yeah. You stack well, those I, hours too. I think I, I have a beef with that too. People people conflate experience with time. They're not the same. Thing. That's exactly what I'm tr the point yeah. I'm trying to make. They're not right? the same. Thing. They're not the same. I remember when I was doing a, when I was a plumber and I had been doing it for six years and I knew more than journeyman who had been doing it for 25, 26 years, right? Because these guys are basically doing the same year over and over for 20 years. If you're not learning anything new, right? Then how are you saying that that is experience, right? So it's not the end all be all. I'm not here to put down people who are, have a lot of experience because there is a lot of merit 
uh, behind having experience. But I think people conflate the two and they try to make them the same thing. They're not the same thing. Well, like I said, the pile of shit doesn't change. Yeah. You can eat it over the span of 20 years. You'll have the same amount of experience as somebody who ate it in two years. But the pile of shit doesn't change. That's, the th that's my whole point. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, absolutely. If you're working, like you said, for 20 years, casually, yeah. you know, you're going to learn some shit. There's going to be some days where you learn more than others, right? But because it's casually, because it's not concentrated, because it's not focused like the other person, it's nowhere near as going to be as fast. Yeah, 100%. Right. Everyone has a superpower. What do you think your superpower is? Not giving a fuck. That's th always been it. That is a superpower. That's always been it. Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, my mom would always say, I feel so bad for your future wife. <laughs> uh, was she right? No, no. <laughs> I my wife drives a brand new Jeep that I got for her, and she she's pretty happy about. She it. hasn't worried about bills for four years. Yeah, yeah she's so that's awesome. she's pretty stoked. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens when you find a soulmate, and we'll go into relationships another time. But I absolutely love that human being. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I think the like back to what I was talking about being neutrally in control of your emotions. I think that not caring about little things. I've never had anxiety in my life. I don't even know what it is. Ukrainians don't believe in anxiety, first of all. That word was not explained to me until I got to Canada. <clears throat> really? Yeah, that's the same with depression. Same thing with personal development. That's another thing that I've never heard or never heard anyone speak about. But me, like the reason why I've never had that level of anxiety is because I was never taught to overthink. I was never taught to overthink because I don't care enough sometimes. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I definitely think it's a, if applied the right way, it's a huge superpower. It's a strength. Because that means that you have no expectations at any given time. And that's been the best thing for me. Now, it comes out at time to time. You know, if I have, let's say, a big client and I'm like, all right, this is going to pay my bills. You know, or that was earlier back in the business. But I think now, especially as like somebody who I've spent hours on training, let's say they quit, I don't care. I just move on and train somebody else. Whereas I see a lot of, People come to me, they're like, man, I've spent like 10 hours training this guy and he quit. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say to them sometimes because in my mind, it just rolls off my shoulders so quickly. Mm. You know, same thing with like, I get in a car accident. They quote me for five grand. I just, it kind of rolls off. I'm like, all right, well, it's happened. I can't, I'm not going to Can't do anything about that it. dent yeah, myself. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's very quick and easy to kind of overcome. Now, am I a very like monotone and you know, emotionless person? No, I do have my moments of anger and frustration but i think that as far as having expectations and not caring about the little things i never like even driving here like you said oh some people get nervous in the podcast i didn't get nervous i get excited because it's something new and i just i just don't know these people so it's like new to me right but you can definitely reframe that to a way where i could be driving here and i could be going through scenarios of what could go wrong and and oh my god this and oh my god that instead i was listening to like reggae and funk music on the way here just jiving with a smile on my face even though it's pouring rain and traffic because you're in control, emotionally in control. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's a big thing, especially as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Uh, a big part of the reason why I quit drinking, too, is just mm, your emotions are all over the place when you're drinking, right? You're up and you're down and you're up and down. When you're not drinking, your emotions are very like even Stevens, right? Even even Stevens. <laughs> Steven. I've been Steven for eight years. Should we bust out the big big three? The Steve oh, you've been Steven for eight years now. Man. I've been Steven for eight years. That's awesome, man. Yeah. All right, the big three. 
if if you could go back to your early 20s what would you do differently i'm still technically in my early 20s no you early early 20s early early what would i do differently yeah hmm. damn it i was hoping there would be another question um i have to think about that one probably it's tough to say man like i want to say get into some kind of sales career first you know but, but you i think you needed I think I needed it, exactly. So another part of me says save more money. Um, But I also kind of like the way I lived my – like I didn't live lavishly, but I – Had fun. uh, Yeah, I never looked at the price tag, which, again, comes to the aspect of not caring. Mm -hmm. I I don't care. Like I don't want to have to live a life where I have to check the price of everything. Um, Early 20s. I wish I had a better relationship with my parents and my family. So if you could go back, you'd try to make that a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I can see it right now, it's spiraling to um, not the best relationship. Hmm. I'm sorry to hear that, man. That's okay. Well, on that note, where do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. Five years, I'll be – so I made a five-year game plan two years ago. So by 29, I aim to be married with a big wedding that we're going to host. And um, kids – gonna start having kids at 29 my, my wife's two years younger than me so it'd be a good age we're gonna start planning it out but by then business wise I plan to have five offices meaning five different branches across Canada um, you know all the big cities Toronto Montreal Vancouver Calgary potentially Edmonton or Saskatoon or something uh, the last two have still yet to decide so offices meaning that um, I have uh, certain you know senior partners running that office with a branch of, you know, let's say 100 to 500 plus licensed agents in each one. So about 2,500 licensed agents in each one. We're working well on that. I'm looking at $3 million of income, majority of it passive at that point, mainly because I don't want to be the type of father to my kids who's always busy running a business. Now, the reason why I got into entrepreneurship was because of that one little thought of my kids or my daughter coming up to me and saying, Hey, Dad, can we go build the tree? You ever watch Click? Yeah. Like the yeah. M- Adam Sandler. That was a sick movie. Exactly. Yeah. So that part where they where, where he like flashes 10 years in the future and he looks in the backyard and he's like, holy fuck. Is that an Adam Sandler movie? Yeah, I cried. Yeah, I've seen it. I still cry. That's I've a very sad times. movie. Yeah. I've seen it 10 times. So when he goes back and he looks at the backyard and he sees the fucking treehouse and he's like, I still didn't build it. You know? I don't ever want my, my kids to come up to me and say, hey, Dad, like, can we go do this or can we go camping or can we go um, to you know, Disneyland or something? And I have to ask my boss for time off. Mm-hmm. Griping to another man about time off for my family or asking him for that, um, it just it irks me in such a way that I can't explain. So I always just want to be in, m- in control of my own schedule and say, absolutely, sweetie, let me you know, accommodate a month in advance and I'll take two weeks off so we can go do that. Um, I hate you know my kids seeing the side of my head because I'm always in my computer working. So by 29, um, I aim to have complete freedom of time, financial freedom, in a way where I can actually focus on building my family the right way possible and be there because your kids can only be young ones. Yeah, I'm not a father, but I'm really looking forward to it. But your kids will only be young once. Yeah, and you don't want to screw that up, and then look back and be like, shit, I wish I spent more time with them. I gotta watch that movie again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie. That's a great movie. Um, His wife's hot. Hit him with the last one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I forget the last one. 
What's your biggest weakness? Oh, there we go. And uh, what would you say your – well, I, might, I probably know your biggest strength, but what, what would you say your biggest weakness is and your biggest strength? My biggest weakness? Hmm. Hmm. I don't have one. <laughs> my, my calves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was just thinking today I need I need to start a calf routine. <laughs> I, like, everyone does. Yeah. That's, that's why I came out. Um, I, I'd probably say – now, it's tough to say if this is a weakness or not, but I make decisions very quickly, and sometimes they bite me in the ass. But I also heard Ed Milet say that uh, good leaders make decisions quickly and change their minds slowly. So um, I've definitely been in a situation where I made the wrong quick decision. But, um, yeah, I mean, my biggest weakness is prob- probably that. I, and I smoke. That's, right. that's another weakness of mine. But, yeah, I think, I think my greatest strength is my discipline with, with certain things. You see, like, even with cigarettes or nicotine of any kind, whether it's vaping or chewing tobacco and smoking, um, I've, been, I've been battling with that since I was, like, 12 years old. I've been smoking. But when it comes to quitting drugs and alcohol, uh, apparently I could do it, which is more of a mental game. When it comes to waking up every morning at 6 a.m. going to the gym, I do that. Right, so I think my greatest strength is probably my discipline to the areas of staying consistent with, uh, with my habits. You know, gotcha. Especially yeah. the smoking. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. A good, that's a good one. What was the first thing you said again? I had something to say on that. What did you say? Um, I said making fast decisions. Making fast decisions. Yeah. Uh, what did I have to say on that again? Making fast decisions. Something. Yeah, it's not imp- it's not important. The result of the decision isn't important. It's the fact that you made it mm. is what's important. A lot of people live their whole lives without making the decision. They sit there and wonder about it their whole lives, right? It's more important that you just make the decision, not the result of it, right? right. I don't know who said that, but... Unless the result is shitty. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, but th- there's going to well, be shitty That's results. exactly it. That's exactly it. So coming back to my point of not caring... Yeah. If I'm in a position where you guys are relying on me to make the decision, if I make the wrong decision that affects mm-hmm. others that I love, it's going to haunt me a little bit. you know. And then I can push it aside, but it's still going to eat at me a little bit. So that's kind of it, right? Now, I'm not yeah. overthinking it or not regretting anything, but you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. You got the floor. What do you say to all the listeners? Hmm. Just like piece of advice I think that's well first of all there's three main areas that I think everybody needs to focus on attentively in their life that's uh, their health their wealth and their relationships right I'm actually I'm working with a couple of realtors from Kelowna guys that we were, we were just talking about Darren Hardy we've done like every health uh, self-help seminar every personal development like book course uh, together and we put together our own like little personal development course that basically encompasses everything that we've learned and instead of doing it for like 16 hours for the next four months um, like or like the daily during daily that you were talking about it's basically a it's gonna take you like two to three hours and what it does is it breaks you down it tells you the type of person that you are um, you know it gives you like what your love languages are uh, it tells you the type of uh, love that you need to receive and give to others uh, it gives you your personality type, what, what kind of leader are you, how you react to certain situations, so you get that personal insight. And then the second part of it is capitalizing on your strengths and, or, or your weaknesses and how you can build better relationships, mainly focusing in the three areas like I just talked about, so your healthy wealth and your relationships. 
Because if you really have those three in control or in a decent place in your life, you're going to wake up with a lot less weight on your shoulders and you're going to be able to have and feel joy a lot easier. Right? And something is highly recommended once, once it's fully finished, it's called Life Rocket Academy. Once it's fully finished, I'll send it to you so you can kind of try please. it out. Please, yeah. yeah it's, please. it's really good. We've, we've put in quite a few hours into it, and, uh, you know, we, we want to make it as applicable to everyone as possible, um, especially me using all the information that I learned about staying clean and not doing drugs and business and everything. So, But those three areas, man, like if you take care of yourself, like you don't even have to crush the gym like seven days a week. I'm talking like three to four, staying fit and healthy, maybe going for a hike or a walk, right? Uh, eating decent watching your calories to some extent you don't have to track it on my fitness pal every single day but knowing if you're consuming you know over 2,000 or over 4,000 or whatever it is um, that kind of aspect of health as well as just taking a health day right I started getting massages every Thursday morning so today yeah, was that's a, sick yeah dude it's awesome it's incredible uh, puts me in a good flow state too right yeah. doesn't matter if it's raining I'm smiling and then your wealth so whether see and that's what i wanted to capitalize on i wanted to say that there's a lot more opportunities than people think there are you know everyone's talking about a recession right now recession this recession that or markets are crashing it's like man you're in a mental recession you know what i mean like i just listened to bradley talk your, about your gdp is declining <laughs> right now <laughs> yeah, exactly so <laughs> because because if you look at me like I, i'm again me and my team we're making the most money we ever made in this industry right now so uh, you know people are buying well they're buying from us you know what I mean? So, oh, there's nobody wants to invest. Well, they're investing with us. Nobody wants to buy insurance. Well, they're buying insurance with us. So what the hell is the difference between me and somebody else? It's because I don't look at it from a perspective of everybody crashing. Bradley has a podcast. You guys should check it out, obviously. I'm literally in the middle of the, the West Watson one. And yeah, and dropping bombs. Dropping yeah, bombs. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Did, you, did you hear his um, story about the uh, hot dog vendor? No. It's a good one. So it's recession-based. Basically, he says this hot dog vendor starts his own hot dog cart. And he wants it to be the best in the area, right? So he buys, like, the best buns, the best lettuce, the best ketchup, the best relish, the best uh, wieners and everything, like, just uh, top-of-the-line stuff. And he starts growing and blowing up, right? So he opens up a second hot dog um, cart, um, a third, a fourth, a fifth. And then he's got ten hot dog carts, and everybody loves his hot dogs. It's the best hot dogs all around. And then his son's getting to that age, so he sends his son to college. And his son goes to college and comes back, but then his dad's got 25 hot dog carts all across the city. He's making bank. He's doing great. And he says, Dad, you know we're in a recession, right? And his dad says, well, you're the college graduate educated person, so maybe I should be careful. All right, so what he starts is he starts cutting costs. He starts buying a little, a little shittier wieners, and he buys less mustard or the crappier ketchup. And all of a sudden, he's noticing, oh, now you know, some of the carts are not doing so well. He drops from 25 to 20. You know, and then he keeps cutting costs on the buns and things like that. And lo and behold, he's now down to 10 carts. And then he's like trying to position himself and save money here and save money there. And in a couple months, he's down to one cart. And he turns to his son. And he says, you know what? You're right. We are in a recession. The motherfucker put himself in the goddamn recession. And we're not seeing that we're doing that every single day. The moment we ch wake up and choose to focus on the negativity. Right. I know what the fuck's going on out there when it comes to the markets and everything else. I'm fully aware of it, but I don't choose to look at the negativity of it. I don't choose to look at the sectors that are failing. I choose to look at the opportunities. Yeah. Right? Like Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of my favorite speakers when it comes to technology and innovative campaigns that are happening in the world. And his outlook on like ChatGPT and the opportunities that he sees in it is, is exactly the type of outlook I want to have in everything. Right? That's awesome. Yeah, what you... What you uh what you allocate attention to grows, right? Absolutely. So if you're thinking recession, 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 all of your attention's on recession, the recession's gonna grow, at least <clears throat> for you. 
Right? Exactly. So, no, I love that. All right. Thanks for coming on, bro. We're going to wrap oh, yeah. it up here. If you're still watching, subscribe, like this podcast, subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're still here, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe, <laughs> subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Subscribe.